Greetings and welcome to Word Magazine. This is Jeff Riddle. I'm the pastor of Christ Reformed Baptist Church in Louisa, Virginia. And in this episode of Word Magazine, which is probably going to be a kind of a shorter episode, maybe I should have called this a jots and tittles episode. But anyways, in this episode of Word Magazine, we're going to be looking at the topic of Athanasius and textual arguments from silence. And I might well have titled this The Church Fathers or the Patristic Authors and Textual Arguments from Silence or the Early Ecclesiastical Writers uh, and Textual Arguments from Silence. And so what I'm looking at is something that I've seen happen quite frequently, especially among apologists who are evangelicals, who are advocates for the modern critical text, and their arguments against the traditional text they will say, well, your text can't be legitimate because it wasn't quoted by a certain church father. And we see this, for example, uh, with something like the Coma Ioanneum, 1 John 5, 7 uh, and 8, the so-called three heavenly witnesses passage. Uh, James White in particular is fond of saying, well, it's not in Athanasius. Surely Athanasius, if this passage was in his Bible, he would have cited this passage uh, in his arguments with uh, Arius and the followers of Arius. And so the question is, is that uh, a proper argument against the traditional text? Is that argument from silence that because a passage isn't cited by a particular church father, patristic writer, early ecclesiastical writer, someone like Athanasius, does that mean that it somehow cinches or proves that the traditional uh, text is a secondary or later invention? And so that's really the question we're going to be looking at uh, in this episode. And to start things off, I want to just pull up a short video clip of someone uh, using this type of argument. So let me see if I can pull this up real quickly. It's not going to be from James White but it's going to be from a fellow named Keith uh, Foskey. And he is a Calvinistic Baptist pastor. I'm not sure what state he's in. He's probably better known for some of the humorous videos that he puts out. But he was at the James White-William Ross debate back in February when they debated uh, the Legacy Standard Bible versus the Authorized Version, which translation is based on uh, the Better Textual Foundation, and Keith Foskey did a little interview with William Ross, and he posted this clip of it uh, on his Twitter account. And I just want to play, again, a brief segment of this. just want to uh, play the opening question, and I want you to notice how Foskey is going to challenge Ross. If, if 1 John 5, 7, and 8 is authentic, then why did it? Uh, Athanasius cited. So let's listen to this question that will sort of set the table for uh, our discussion. Version 5 7. Yes, the, the Pentelionian. Which, That's right. which uh, I, I've said that um, if this is a legitimate text, I know you believe it is, but just for the moment, if then certainly it would it would defend what we believe about the Trinity in regard to God as one in essence, three in person. He said these three are one. And that. Um, but we don't see that text and the, the defense used by Athanasius in his writings and things like that. Can you tell me why you think that is? 
Well, okay, I'm going to stop it right there. I'm not going to listen to William Ross's uh, reply. Um, Ross, I think, holds to a form of landmarkism, and so he doesn't see Athanasius necessarily as representing um, a stream of orthodoxy. Uh, but anyways, I'm more interested in Foskey's question. Um, if First John 5, 7, and 8 is not is authentic, then why doesn't Athanasius cite it? Why doesn't he quote it? And does its lack of citation by Athanasius prove that it's not original uh, to um, the uh, book of 1 John, original to the New Testament, and it's a later accretion, a later addition? That's the question. And again, you, you are sort of hearing this I've heard it a number of times, especially from James White or from others. Um, if a certain church father doesn't cite this passage, then it proves uh, that this passage is not authentic. So I put together a little PowerPoint, and I'm going to pull that up, and we're going to walk through and examine a little more closely this whole question about... Um, Athanasius and textual arguments from silence. And uh, we're going to do this with reference to some Trinitarian proof texts and also a couple of other bonus passages. So let me just walk through this PowerPoint for a few minutes. So let's start off talking a little bit about Athanasius of Alexandria. He lived from around the year 296 to 373. I think there's some question about when he was born, but I'm going with the dates there. They're supplied by the Oxford Dictionary of Church History. Athanasius was present at the Council of Nicaea in the year 325. He was there not as a bishop, but he was a deacon, and he was the secretary to the person who was the Bishop of Alexandria at that time, whose name was Alexander. Uh, when Alexander died, he succeeded Alexander as the Bishop of Alexandria in 328, and his whole career was spent in controversy. Maybe you've heard the phrase Athanasius contra mundum, Athanasius against the world. And he stood against the teachings of Arius, the followers of Arius, so-called Arianism. He became a leader of the so-called Nicene Party. Uh, arguing for uh, the view of the deity of Christ and the, the view of the Trinity that was articulated at the Council of Nicaea. And uh, sometimes the Arians uh, held sway and influenced the, the emperors and rulers. And so he spent, uh, Athanasius did various times when he was exiled, and then uh, he would be restored and he would be exiled again. But eventually, his pro-Nicene views uh, uh, held the day. And uh, after his death, he died in 373 and 381 at the Council of Constantinople. Uh, the views of Nicaea were reaffirmed and even expanded. Uh, more was said about the, do the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Athanasian... Christianity became something of a standard for orthodoxy. But again, he's well known for his battles with the Arians over the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, 
this is where we get to this argument from silence in Latin argumentum ex silentio. Um, and I'm drawing from that great scholarly source here, Wikipedia. You can look up argument from silence and you look at the Wikipedia article and it says an argument from silence is, quote, to express a conclusion based on the absence of statements in historical documents rather than their presence. It continues, that's the end of the quote, it continues, such arguments, quote, are generally viewed as rather weak in many cases or considered as fallacies, end quote. So an argument from silence um, is sometimes considered to be a logical fallacy. Uh, just because uh, uh, an author doesn't mention something doesn't mean that it didn't exist. Um, such arguments are sometimes made against readings in the traditional text. For example, a certain church father never cited this passage, so this proves that this passage was not originally in the New Testament. Um, and we see sort of Keith Foskey, uh, sort of his question belying that type of perspective. Some apologists have used this, used this type of argument with reference to the writings of Athanasius. Uh, uh, for example, in their argument contra or against the originality and authenticity of 1 John 5, 7, and 8. So our question is, we're looking at is, is the argument from silence, a drawing on someone like Athanasius, is that a proper argument against the traditional text and in particular, our example passages is going to be 1 John 5, 7. So um, in order to examine this question, I pulled down uh, the volume that I have on my shelf. You see a picture of it here. I took a picture of it there. This is um, volume four in what's called the, the second series of the Nicene and post-Nicene Fathers. And uh, this uh, um, volume uh, first came out, first was put out in November of 1891, and I've shown you there a title page. It's titled Select Writings and Letters of Athanasius, Bishop of Alexandria, edited with Prologoma, Indices, and Tables by Archibald Robertson. So uh, this is, again, not an exhaustive collection of Athanasius's works, but a selection of Athanasius's works, but it's a fairly extensive collection of Athanasius's work. In the preface, the editor says, quote, this volume contains all the most important treatises of Athanasius in as nearly as possible their exact chronological order, with the exception of three documents. Ad Serapionem, the Contra Apollin Apollinarium, and the Ad Marcellinum. Uh, so, but other than that, it includes his major treatises, his festal letters, his, his uh, apologetics against the Arians, and his exegetical remains. So, although it's not exhaustive of everything he wrote, it's, it's a, it's, the, the mass of what he wrote that we have that's extant. And the editor also notes in the preface, quote, the index of scripture texts has been made with painful attention to detail and contains no unverified reference. 
And so he's saying, listen, we went back, we read through everything. We noted every time a scripture passage was cited and we double checked it, triple checked it. And it's painful attention was given to details. So this is going to be a very valuable resource for looking at the text of scripture that Athanasius appealed to uh, in his various writings, including writings against the Arians. So uh, now I want to think from a modern perspective now. If we were going out and we were going to begin to make, uh, have a dialogue with a Jehovah's Witness, for example, where would we turn in the Bible? And my guess is that these three passages that I've listed here would be three of the go-to passages if you're somebody like me who uses a translation based on the traditional text. If I have my King James Version, my Geneva Bible, my New King James Version with respect to the New Testament, and I'm going to look for, for passages to speak with a Jehovah's Witness, and why do you believe in the Trinity? Of course, a lot of people uh, commit uh, the so-called word concept fallacy. They say, I don't believe in the Trinity because the word Trinity isn't in the Bible. Uh, we agree that the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, but the concept is there. And where would we go? Of course, there are many so-called uh, triadic statements uh, in the New Testament, especially in Paul's writings. But I think we would look at these three passages uh, to start off with. First of all, the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So there's Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Uh, also, a second passage would be uh, the uh, benediction, which ends the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Uh, many uh, ministers and churches use this liturgically as a scriptural blessing at the end of a service of worship. Um, and it reads, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And so, although it's not in the order of Father, Son, Spirit, it's in the order of Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, Father, the love of God, and Spirit, the communion of the Holy Ghost. But there is a Trinitarian a framework in this blessing, apostolic blessing, at the end of 2 Corinthians 13. And then the third passage, again, people have a modern critical text. Uh, if you're using something like the ESV, this it removes uh, the second half of 1 John 5, 7, and it doesn't even have a notification about it in the um, the footnotes. Um, there's there's one person who's criticized the traditional text. Why are you guys all up in arms about this? It's all in the footnotes. It's there. And that's not true, though. If you have the ESV, they take out the coma yoenaum, uh, 1 John 5, 7, B, 8a, and it's not in the footnotes. And so it's simply removed and not even printed in the footnotes. Um, but anyways, this would be a classic overt reference to the one God in three persons. As 1 John 5, 7 says, for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. 
Again, like 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it's a little bit, doesn't use the three traditional terms as in the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit. But it's the Father, the Word, the Lagos, and the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And these three, the three persons, are one God. And so that would be a classic uh, Trinitarian proof text. And I remember a few years ago, a friend who may be listening to this podcast today, who's in England, uh, who was in a Jehovah's Witness church, uh, wrote me and told me that the Coma Ioannaeum, 1 John 5, 7, was instrumental in his conversion and his moving away from Jehovah's Witnesses and embracing orthodoxy because there he saw clearly the Trinity uh, being taught. So we've got these three proof texts. We can look at others, but we've got these three proof texts. Now the question is going to be, let's look at the select writings of Athanasius and see, uh, let's look at the scripture index and see how many times Athanasius made reference to these passages. So let's begin by looking at Matthew 28, 19, the beginning of the Great Commission. And I'm hoping you can see this when this is posted. I'm, I have a feeling that the text may be uh, very small. But if you look at the index of text and you look at Matthew 28, there in Roman numerals, verse 19, you will see that in then that in the whole mass of this book of the select writings of Athanasius, that there are six references. There are six extant references in the writings of Athanasius to Matthew 28:19. And uh, they're found in, on pages 74, 93, 341, 446, 461, and 466. So clearly, Athanasius made appeal to Matthew 28, 19, and uh, no one is seriously challenging the authenticity of that passage. But what about 1 John 5, 7? This is the controversial one. And if you look at 1 John, uh, the index, scriptural index for 1 John, you notice that there are not a, a huge number of references in the extant writings of Athanasius to 1 John. And if you look at chapter 5, there are indeed no references to 1 John 5, 7. Why is that? Uh, we don't know. I believe it was authentic that 1 John 5, 7 is authentic, but apparently Athanasius and his writings did not appeal to this passage, uh, at least in the extant writings that we have. In fact, the only verse that is cited in the writings that we have is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. And that pass, that verse says, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Well, we can understand, can't we, why Athanasius might have appealed to that verse, because the flashpoint was the deity of Christ. And so here, clearly, uh, John is saying that Christ is the true God. Um, and so there, there are five references, nearly as many as there are to Matthew 28, 19, pages 84, 230, 398, 404, 443, 
to 1 John 5.20, but no reference to 1 John 5.7, which we might assume would be one of the passages. And this is why, again, somebody like Foskey, James White, they're saying because uh, Athanasius did not cite this passage, it was not in his text. But let's look, let's look next at 2 Corinthians 13.14. And again, this is one that we would think would have been a passage to which Athanasius would have appealed. This uh, Trinitarian scriptural blessing that concludes the, the book of 2 Corinthians. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. But if you look at the scriptural index here uh, for uh, 2 Corinthians uh, and chapter 13, you find that uh, there is no reference to 2 Corinthians 13, 14 in the extant writings of Athanasius. There's only one reference in his extant writings to the entirety of 2 Corinthians 13. There's one reference that is given uh, on page 211 of the select writings to 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, which reads, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves, know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But oddly enough, what, one of the top three, we might think, Trinitarian proof texts is not found in uh, at least this fairly exhaustive collection of the select writings of Athanasius. Now, in addition to these Trinitarian proof texts, I thought I it might be interesting just to give a sample of a couple of bonus passages that aren't necessarily Trinitarian passages, but passages in particular that uh, James White is fond of talking about. And let's, let's start off um, with looking at the traditional ending of Mark, Mark 16, 9 through 20. Do we have any reference to Mark 16, 9 through 20 in the extant writings of Athanasius? And you can see, if you look here, if you can see this, hope you can, that indeed there actually are no citations at all in Athanasius's writings to Matthew 16. So not only is Matthew 16, 9 through 20, the traditional ending never cited by Athanasius in the extant writings, but, but not even verses 1 through 8, which are accepted as authentic. And you can also see, if, as you look at this, that there are actually a number of chapters, whole chapters in Mark, that are never cited uh, by Athanasius. There are no citations in chapter 3, there are no citations in chapter 7. There are no citations in chapter 9, in chapter 11, in chapter 14, and again in chapter 16. So um, he has only scattered references to the Gospel of Mark. Um, what about bonus passage number 2, Ephesians 3.9? And again, this is one that uh, James White uh, spoke often about with William Ross. He uses it as an example of a, a so-called place where the, the traditional text is weak. 
And again, the primary question is about the little phrase, as it is in the authorized version, the fellowship of the mystery, uh, the, the koinonia of the mystery. And in the modern critical text, it reads the uh, oikonomia, the stewardship of the dispensation of the mystery. Well, does Athanasius's writings help us any in determining at least his usage of Ephesians 3.9? I pulled up the, the painstakingly put together uh, index. And in fact, as your eye looks at this, you'll see that actually there are no citations from Athanasius of Ephesians 3.9. And so the writings of Athanasius neither prove nor disprove the text of Ephesians 3.9. Those of us who are traditional text advocates, we can't cite Athanasius in favor of our reading of Ephesians 3.9, but the advocate of the modern critical text, neither can he or she cite Athanasius for or against the modern critical text. And so, uh, again, I think these, these examples are very uh, helpful for us. Let's move on now, and let me share with you some of my conclusions. Of what might be considered the three major Trinitarian proof texts, we find only six references in Athanasius to Matthew 28, 19, none to 1 John 5, 7, but also none uh, to 2 Corinthians 13, 14 in this particular resource that we're looking at for the writings of Athanasius. And with respect to the bonus passages that I put forward, there are no references to Mark 16 in the writings of Athanasius, as well as there are no references to any passage in Mark in chapters 3, 7, 9, 11, and 14. And there is no direct quotation in the writings of Athanasius of Ephesians 3.9. So the extant remains of Athanasius do not provide complete or even extensive references to the text of the New Testament. There are lots of chapters, verses that are never cited by Athanasius. In addition, we should note that ancient writers did not always make exegetical arguments in the same way as modern writers. So, for example, we would think it would be a no-brainer to, to, for Athanasius to cite 2 Corinthians 13, 14, but for some reason, we don't have any record of him citing that in his back-and-forth uh, arguments with um the Arians, just like he doesn't cite First John 5, 7. It seems like a no-brainer to us. If he had it, he would have used it, but that might not be following the logic of the early ecclesiastical writers. Obviously, he thought First John 5, 20 was a very valuable uh, proof text in that debate. Um, so anyways, the argument from silence in the end, after this analysis, uh, is shown to be problematic, to be fallacious. One should not use an argument from silence drawn from Athanasius, or in fact from any other early Christian writer uh, or writers, as definitive evidence to establish any text of the New Testament. 
So um, Keith Foskey's question um, really doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove uh, whether 1 John 5-7 is part of the authentic text of the Bible. It doesn't prove um, yeah, uh, uh, whether 2 Corinthians 13-14 is authentic text of the Bible. So anyways, I think the argument uh, from silence is not uh, a healthy, it's not a strong argument, it's a weak argument. And in fact, we could even say it's it's a logically fallacious argument. Well, I hope that this little discussion that we've had today will be helpful for those of you who are thinking through, like I am, issues related to the text of the Word of God and its proper translation. Hope you found this little discussion we've had today helpful, and I will look forward to speaking to you in the next edition of Word Magazine. Till then, take care and may the Lord richly bless you.